This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. We're bringing you the recording of a talk at the Northern Gospel Project's launch conference back in November. Northern Gospel Project is a collaboration of churches in Manchester looking to enable more church planting to happen in and around Manchester and the north of England. And In this talk, Jonathan Bell was sharing from his experience of a similar project in Birmingham, talking about what God needs to do in our hearts to create a movement together for the city. So uh, we hope you enjoy this talk. If you want to find more about Broadcast, head over to our website and you can find the links on there also to see more about the Northern Gospel Project. Hope you enjoy. Well, it's um, actually my privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, what I want to do uh, for the next 25 minutes or so is hopefully inspire you with a story of the fruitfulness that we've experienced just down the road in Birmingham through working together with others beyond uh, our own tribe, our own denomination, uh, our own stream. And what I want to then try and show you is what it might take for you here in this context to pursue those kinds of missional partnerships to kickstart more church plants and more uh, transformed communities, both in the city of Manchester and the regions beyond. So that's what we're going to set out to do uh, in the next 25 minutes. But uh, just really to set the scene, um, I've had the sheer joy of living in Birmingham for 26 years now. Uh, My wife Helen and I moved to the city pretty much straight after getting married in order to plant the church, which uh, I still actually... I'm leading today. Uh, Over the years, uh, we've sent out a further nine church plants in and around the greater Birmingham area, as well as church planting teams into Beirut and Cairo. But despite our relative success over the years, uh, I think one of the key lessons that I've learned over this time is that really to reach a city or to reach a region with the gospel requires collaboration. Really a pivotal moment in my journey of discovery was this out-of-the-blue conversation with a fellow church leader back at the beginning of 2010. If you're around yesterday, I'm aware not many of you were, but you will have met Neil Powell. Uh, Sadly, can't be with us today. Uh, But we led churches pretty much within a mile of each other, but sadly, we had rarely spoken together. Although uh, we're both from uh, an evangelical reform background, our ecclesiology was just poles apart. And if truth be told, we were slightly suspicious of each other due to those differences between our churches. But as we began a conversation around the challenges and the opportunities that we were together facing in our city, we ended up both agreeing that the need was way too great for any one church or any one denomination to meet the need all by themselves. We also agreed that we cared way too much for our city 
We loved the people who live in our city way too much to just stubbornly stick at independently doing our own thing. And although we kind of sensed it might involve a bit of sacrifice, we tentatively agreed to lay aside our differences and begin working together with the simple aim of seeing 20 churches planted in Birmingham by the year 2020. And we chose to christen this whole venture 2020 Birmingham. Now, I'll let you know how we've got on in a moment or two. But one of the things I've discovered through all of this is that partnering wider than you are perhaps naturally comfortable with, and at the same time, investing in the success of someone else's work, although incredibly challenging at times, it can be disproportionately fruitful. It's like the more generous spirited you can be, the wider you are willing to partner, the more you are willing to celebrate the successes of others, even when it's at the expense of your own church, I believe the more effective you will be in mission. And so if we fast forward uh, 10 years, if my calculations are correct, somewhere in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, we saw, by the kindness of God, our 21st church planted. And uh, there was a plug uh, a little earlier, but if you want to read a bit more of our story, IVP have published that book called Together for the City that really narrates some of what we've done and the nuts and bolts of how it works in practice. And in the foreword of the book, uh, none other than Tim Keller describes 2020 Birmingham, I quote, as one of the most successful ministry projects in all of Europe. Uh, which I think is a bit like the emperor's new clothes, if truth be told. The more you look closely at it, it is not that. But uh, it's very kind of Tim Keller to say those things. Now, all of that is well and good. But now we're in the year 2022. And although the temptation could be just to sit back and rest on our laurels, and we've got a book made, and we haven't got the T-shirts like you, but uh, maybe we could get some made up as well. But really, the... The need in our city is greater than ever. And although we've made a start, there is much work still to be done. And so I don't know if any of you are interested in our future plans, uh, but as we look forward to this next decade that we're in the middle of already, we're believing, like you here in this region, for a further 30 church plants. And if you need help with the math, 20 plus 30 makes 50. And we're thinking if each of those 50 churches plant again, then we could see 100 new churches planted in and around our city in our lifetime. And even that will probably be just kind of scratching the surface of the need, but it's a start. We also want to be a little more strategic. We want to focus more intentionally now on reaching the people in the places that are currently unreached or harder to reach, primarily the urban poor, and also the predominantly Muslim communities in our city. We also want to broaden the scope beyond just planting churches. Uh, we're connected at the moment with the Flourishing Arts Network. We've also already partnered together with at least one Mercy Ministry. We'd love to see more of those kinds of creative partnerships spawned in the years to come. 
I should probably add, uh, we've changed our name uh, to the Birmingham Collective. Uh, our website is there, but it's nowhere near as up-to-date as yours, so don't look at it quite yet. Uh, but we're called the Birmingham Collective, and we're more committed than ever to work together for the good of our city. We want to play our part in the cultural, social, spiritual renewal of Birmingham. Now, I could very easily stand here and hopefully inspire you with further stories of what we're doing in Birmingham. Uh, I could try and convince you theologically that it is really very important. Uh, I could provide just kind of stacks of practical advice that you need to kickstart what you're doing here. But in my experience, the biggest obstacle to you doing anything about all of this is the state of your own heart. And I think if we don't start with that, then none of this is going to work. And so uh, in the time that remains, I, I just want to share three main areas of heart surgery that God has had to perform on me to enable me to be part of a collaborative city network for the last dozen years. And maybe some of this will resonate with you. I'm hoping it does. First of all, God's had to work on me to bring me from a place of competition to compassion. When I first started leading in the church, more than anything else, I wanted to make a difference for God. More than anything else, I wanted to bring glory to him. But somewhere, somehow along the way, my insecurities caused me to feel the need to compete with others to prove that I had what it took to be a leader. The truth is, I want to look good. And I want the church that I lead to flourish because that then reflects well on me. Or to dress it up in maybe slightly more acceptable vocabulary, the church I lead has got a huge vision and I'm at full capacity serving the church. Either way, I need the church to succeed so that I look like I'm being successful. Which means that if it's a choice between giving my time to my church or to the church down the road, I'm always going to prioritize my own church. Just out of interest, are there any churches here with more money and more people than you currently need. There'll be people, Ralph will be scouring the room, so be careful. Any, anyone in that category? That's a bit dark in here, but I can't see any hands at all. None of us are in that position. Which means if we are already stretched in terms of people and finance, we're hardly going to encourage anyone to move to join a church plant on the other side of the city. Or if a new church plant starts right on our doorstep, we're probably going to feel ever so slightly threatened and unhappy. And so I might say in a context like this that I'm really supportive of collaborative city networks. And I might really like the idea in theory, but in practice, in my heart of hearts, I don't want anyone else to prosper at the expense of the church that I lead. Now, to my shame... A whole lot of that was lurking in my heart. Uh, and Ralph and Tim are probably wondering why on earth they invited me to come and address you today. But really where 
the script that I'd written for my life told me that I had to overcome and I had to triumph and I had to perform better than everyone else. The gospel sets me free wonderfully from the need to compete with others because my name is written in the book of life. I'm I'm a co-heir with Christ. Jesus has given me his righteousness Therefore, I have absolutely nothing to prove. If I truly, deep down, understand the gospel, I don't have to compete against others for my own worth. God's already proven it through the cross, which means I'm now liberated. I'm now set free to pour myself out for others. You know, if you read the gospels, time... And time again, Jesus was moved by compassion, wasn't he? To sit in the dust with lepers, to embrace prostitutes, to weep over the lostness of his city. And the more I look to Jesus, the more he shifts my focus from myself and my own needs to the needs of the people around me who don't yet know him. What's more, if you need further motivation in all of this, remember at the end of time, Jesus is returning, isn't he, for a glorious bride made up of every church. And don't know about you, but I want to devote myself for the building up, the flourishing, the health of the whole, not just my little bit. So the first area of heart surgery God's had to perform me over the years He's had to move me from a place of competition to compassion. Secondly, he's had to take me from a place of judgment to generosity. I think we probably all know a judgmental person when we meet one, don't we? And I guess we all know, sadly, what it feels like to be judged. But I think we can often be blind to it in ourselves. Because if truth be told, most of the time... I don't think like I'm being judgmental. I just think I'm right. I'm simply being loyal to the truth. And if truth be told, I'm very frustrated that everyone else can't see the blindingly obvious. In fact, I feel a sense of duty. I feel a sense of responsibility to put others right. And if they refuse to listen, then it is easier for everyone if I just avoid them. And the more I avoid them the more suspicious and critical I get towards their preferences, their motives, and their successes. And so, if I'm going to partner with anyone, my default position is to always and everywhere part with people I agree with on everything. And sadly, those people are few and far between. Kind of reminds me, of the disciples in Mark 9. Remember the story? They come to Jesus and they complain. We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. If you remember, Jesus immediately rebukes them saying, whoever is not against us is for us. You know, when it comes to collaborative gospel ministry, it does seem like the master is far more inclusive than his disciples. As Greg Boyd says, 
Jesus makes it clear that judgment and life in the kingdom are antithetical to each other. In other words, you cannot love and judge at the same time. He goes on to add, it is impossible to ascribe unsurpassable worth to another while we're detracting worth from another. Now, don't hear me wrong. There is a place for constructive criticism. But when we default to this posture of criticism, we end up subverting the grace of God and we replace it with the demands of our own sovereign opinion. At the end of the day, judgmentalism is based on the faulty assumption that we are right in every situation and that our opinion is called for and must be expressed. But what I've come to see is that the gospel drives us inward to a place of repentance and outward and not outward to a place of critique. And then it drives us to actively seek the well-being of others and to believe the best and to celebrate their success. And really, for collaborative networks like this that's been birthed today, for collaborative networks to, to succeed, there's got to be this generosity of spirit instead of judgment. There has got to be a willingness to work across boundaries with people that previously we may have been suspicious of. And really, just to drive the message home, here's a pretty stinging warning from John Tyson. He says this, when we set ourselves up as the judge, we create a relational framework in which others are the accused. This corrupts the love that God has called us to show. Satan is the accuser of the brethren who points out the faults and failures of believers before God. Jesus is our advocate, our great high priest who stands up against these accusations and announces the verdict of grace over our lives. When we walk around judging people rather than advocating for them, we facilitate the work of the enemy in their lives. We need to move from a place of judgment to generosity. And then thirdly and finally, then I'm done. We need to move from a place of hubris to humility. I would have said pride, but hubris goes better with the, the scheme I've got going here. We've got to go from a place of hubris to humility. As someone once put it, pride isn't thinking too much of myself. It is thinking of myself far too much. Now, again, this can show itself in all kinds of different ways. I guess we can, again, all spot it in people who think the whole world revolves around them. People who are obsessed with themselves very quick to tell you how great they are. But I think a more subtle form of pride is the self-reliance that tries to do everything in our own strength rather than seeking help from God and from others. And to continue this public confessional, which is good for the soul, once again, this is something historically, sadly, I've been guilty of. When I moved to Birmingham to church plant back in 1996, if truth be told, I thought we were the answer. Everyone else in the city 
who had been faithfully laboring for year after year, clearly they weren't doing it right. What the city desperately needed was for us to plant a proper church that would somehow spread through the whole city and put right what all those other churches have been doing wrong for so long. 14 years in, we had absolutely flogged our guts out, planting a further six churches in the greater Birmingham area, but it still felt like a drop in the ocean. And what I came to learn was that to reach a city or to reach a region, it requires a church planting movement that can only be created by concerted collaboration. And I hasten to add, not collaboration with me at the center of it all. It's not that I've still got all the answers and I'll benevolently pass on my wisdom as and when I can fit you in. No, I need you way more than you need me. Although my pride tells me I can do it myself, the scale of the need dictates I can't. James 4 verse 10 implores us, doesn't it, to humble ourselves. Really, at the end of the day, humility is a choice. It is an internal awareness. It is this posture of the heart that we are invited by Jesus to join. Just as Jesus willingly chose to empty himself for us, Paul invites us to mirror him in our relationships with others. In Philippians 2, verse 3, we read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. In my experience, when this kind of humility takes over the hearts of church leaders and church members alike, that is when collaborative city networks have the potential to spark into life and really thrive. Now, let's be honest. All of this might seem like too much hard work. But if we genuinely care for our city, and if we really want to see the city reached with the gospel, then we've got to do the hard work. We've got to look inwards at the state of our own heart, where necessary, we, we need to repent, we need to change at the place where God's convicting us. And then we need to look outwards, beyond our own church, our own stream, our own network, our own denom denomination. We've got to look for those we can partner with. Because I'm telling you, the need is too great for us to do it alone. And more than that, I believe Jesus is most glorified when we lay down our differences and unite together to make much of him.